Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Coming up on this edition of the TV Black Box one-on-one podcast, I chat to Michael Carrington, head of entertainment and specialist at the ABC, about all things auntie. Let's talk hard quiz, Q&A on Thursdays, and a bit of bluey. This is TV Black Box, bringing you the inside goss from the TV industry. Hello, gorgeous people, and welcome to another TV Black Box one-on-one podcast. I'm Aaron Ryan. Today, I'm chatting with head of entertainment and specialist at the ABC, Michael Carrington. Michael, thank you for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Aaron. Well, I recently chatted to uh, Angus Ross at Seven, and from feedback from listeners, they were actually intrigued about his pathway to the top programming spot at Seven. So on that note, can you tell me about your pathway, I guess, from high school to your position now at the ABC? (laughs) Aaron, I'm a certain age, so we could be here forever. Um, (laughs) I will try to keep it brief. (laughs) Um, So I went to high school in Parks, New South Wales, and I did my HSC there. During uh, year 11, uh, I think it was, I did a week's work experience at the local radio station, 2PK, Voice of the Golden West. Uh, And I loved that experience so much that I figured that radio was the future for me. Uh, And so I spent the next 12 months um, doing my HSC and at the same time knocking on the door to the general manager of 2PK, Ken Birch. Uh, And eventually he gave me some part-time shifts after school. Uh, And anyway, that ended up being a full-time job once I finished high school, uh, completed my HSC. And I did that DJing job for a number of years, but I was I was very young. I hadn't really seen the world. I, I spent most of my life in parks or earlier on in Campbelltown, New South Wales. And I got a bit anxious about uh, being trapped in the studio for the rest of my life, you know, thinking that I could be 40 years old, still behind a panel. Um, so that that got me thinking that I needed to get out and about. So I actually did something incredibly different. I followed my brother into the Royal Australian Navy uh, and I did a standard kind of uh, contract with the RAN um, and sailed the seven seas, became a communications sailor, really thoroughly enjoyed it. But I realized after about four years that there's always somebody in charge of you, somebody making decisions, somebody telling you what to do. And I'm not really that kind of person. So I figured life in the RAN was not going to be forever. Uh, So I tried to figure out what to do next. I thought I would go back to radio. In the meantime, I left the Navy. I met somebody who was working at Channel 10 in Sydney in the children's department, and they were looking for a runner, 
somebody to you know make coffee do the photocopying uh, type up scripts etc yeah. so i applied for that job uh, with the head of children's at the time uh, ian fairweather who is who was very very famous in those days um, and Ian gave me my first job in television, and I absolutely loved the experience at Channel 10. We were making shows like Ridgey Didge uh, and Double Dare, which was a format from Nickelodeon in the US. We ended yeah. up making Family Double Dare. I remember that, yeah. Uh, yes, good, good. Uh, it, it kind of impacted a lot of people, very successful shows. Um, unfortunately, uh, the Channel 10 management um, side of things uh, was in a bit of trouble and they sold off their North Ride studios and moved into central Sydney. I took that opportunity to go abroad. I figured I'd, I'd never really been outside Australia apart from one trip to Fiji. So uh, I took advantage of my mother being British and being able to work in the UK. So I headed to the UK within five months or so. I got a job at the BBC in the BBC Children's Department and kind of the, the world just took over then. Uh, I just loved what I was doing. Uh, I worked for the BBC for a number of years. The Discovery Channel opened up in the UK. I went off to work with them. They're a new cable and uh, cable and satellite channel. So that was a new experience. I went back to the BBC. Uh, during that period, we opened up two digital channels, CBBS and CBBC. And then in the early 2000s, the internet exploded. And every major brand uh, around the world thought that they could have their own channel uh, and create branded channels. Yeah. And Lego was one of those um, companies. Uh, Lego, the toy company, the bricks, uh, I, I think everybody listening will have some experience with a brick, whether they trod on it, sat on it, or somebody <laughs> threw it at them. Uh, Lego... Uh, went into the film and TV business uh, and myself and a colleague set up the TV and film business for them. And we did a preschool series called Little Robots, which sold all around the world. We created a movie franchise called Bionicles. Uh, they went off and they licensed Batman and various other things to create games. And they were very, very successful. And I did that for about four years when the BBC beckoned me back. Uh, and I went back to the BBC um, and looked after animation and programs that were um, produced outside of the BBC, essentially. Did that for a number of years. Then I went to, uh, where did I go then? Uh, I went to Cartoon Network uh, in Europe and I ran Cartoon Network across Europe, Middle East and Africa. Did some incredible programs like The Amazing World of Gumball, which is a huge Emmy winning, BAFTA winning, Academy Award winning uh, television uh, animation series. Yeah. Uh, great experience there because it, you know, children's programs, it, it was a secret world for me. Um, and I didn't let many people into it because in children's television, you make drama, you make animation, you make game shows, you make factual shows, you make documentaries, you make all sorts of genres, types of shows. Whereas in the adult sphere, you had to specialize. You had to either be a factual maker or a game show maker or a newsmaker. So it was an incredible experience for me. And I worked in the Middle East and uh, traveled around um, Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Then I was wooed to uh, Hit Entertainment and Hit Entertainment were the founders of Bob the Builder uh, and Fireman Sam and Thomas the Tank Engine and Angelina Ballerina. All the big uh, ones. And 
Oh, yes. Massive, massive worldwide brands. And so I was put in charge of those brands um, and my job was to refresh them. So I had to do uh, the new adventures of Thomas the Tank Engine and recreate Bob the Builder and spend a lot of time with Vime and Sam. But the owners of Hit Entertainment were in the US. So I got uh, to spend a lot of time in LA uh, and worked with a whole range of really talented, um, creative people. Uh, then uh, through that experience, I became uh, the CEO of Zodiac Kids Studios, uh, which is owned by Banerjee in, in Europe, one of the biggest uh, independent production companies there is. Uh, and we did some incredible things um, at Zodiac, like Mr. Maker, which is another kind of world famous um, craft show for children and various other things. Anyway. During all of this, um, I kept coming across the ABC because obviously Australia is my homeland. I was very interested in what was going on in television uh, yeah. and radio back in Australia. And I met a guy called Richard Finlayson who happened to be the director of television. Uh, and he said that uh, there was a job coming up as the head of children's at the ABC and would I be interested? And I just jumped at the chance of, of coming home 26 years abroad. Uh, and the chance to come home and spend time with my family. My parents uh, were still in parks. My brother and sisters were still um, around and about. I had lots of nieces and nephews that I never really spent time with. So I came back um, five years ago and uh, became the head of children's for a couple of years. Uh, and that was an incredible experience. The ABC Children's Department is world-class. It's world-renowned. They're making the best quality children's content um, just like the BBC and just like PBS in, in the States and just like CBC in Canada. So, you know, that was an uh, incredible experience. Then there was a little bit of uh, disruption at the ABC uh, and there was some moving chairs. The managing director of the time uh, left the ABC and my boss, David Anderson, who was the director of television by then, uh, moved in to act as the new managing director and he asked me if I would like to sit in his seat as the acting director of television. Well, during that transition, of course I said yes, uh, hmm. but we merged radio, television and our online services so that we were no longer platform centric. Uh, we became genre centric. And so national radio, including RN, the music networks, uh, and all of, uh, well, most of television production were merged into what's now known as Entertainment and Specialist. Uh, and I'm the Director of Entertainment and Specialist. Well, there I you hope go. that didn't take too long. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's actually a really uh, interesting journey. Um, some people you talk to started a whole different career somewhere else and then they moved into television. And some people, you know, from high school, they thought that's what they wanted to do. I recently spoke to um, Tony Barber, of course, from South of the Century fame. His story was not that dissimilar to yours. Um, a little bit of entertainment background near high school, but then he decided to go off to the Navy and then came uh -huh. back and then went into radio and, and then into television. So similar sort of journey, I guess. Aaron, you're telling me I'm not the only one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> off, to the, off to the Navy and then off to uh, into television. Look, I yeah. want to talk uh, ratings for a moment. Um, each and every day, Austin sends out the ratings performances of the commercial channels, but also for the ABC and, and SBS. 
ABC does not have paid advertising. So a Mm -hmm. show's ratings and demographic performance is not necessarily a signal to continue or dump a show, is it? I mean, at at 9am when the ratings come through, what is it that you're actually looking for in the daily reports? Uh, it's not unusual for public service broadcasters to to get ratings, uh, and it's generally you know a requirement so that we can see the balance between you know what's on air, what's doing well, what's having wide appeal, um, what programs might be a bit more specialised and, and only appealing to a, a smaller audience, say a niche audience. Um, but I guess in, at the end of the day, ratings are about, you know, indicating how audiences are uh, reacting to something that you've created and that you've put into the schedule or onto a digital platform. So we look at it as a tool. Um, it kind of forms a combination of our own instincts, all of the hard work and effort that we've gone into creating something specifically for audiences um, whether they're children's audiences or adult audiences. Uh, and we use the ratings to help us, um, you know, either affirm that we're in the right direction or help us and guide us into developing or creating something different or even improving something that we've already created. Um, and, you know, we're, we're, we don't work in a vacuum. And I think, you know, getting out and about and talking to audiences is really important. So we also rely on qualitative audience data as much as we do on those overnights. It also helps us um, see the shift between linear television, so traditional broadcasting, and our new platforms, which of course, ABC iView is our main digital platform. Uh, and we need to track where audiences are if they are moving between linear and digital. Well, quite often the ABC will will start a series um, and then after the first episode airs on ABC, all of the subsequent episodes are released on iView um, on a commercial channel that might diminish linear ratings. Is the mandate of the ABC to just allow the audience to access a program in whatever means necessary um, to the widest possible audience and not care about at all where the eyeballs ultimately come from? I ask that based on what you just said about, you know, linear mm. versus, versus eye view. Yeah, it's, it's really important in this incredibly competitive and fragmented world where audiences are only interested in getting great stories and they don't really care where those stories come from. It's one of those issues that all broadcasters face. Um, and I guess we have to strike the right balance between what we're offering on our television channels as much as what we're offering on demand. And so I I guess from our perspective right now, there's still huge audiences to just traditional broadcast TV. um, And there's no doubt we have to look after them, but we are increasingly more focused on ABC iView. uh, And just even in the last sort of six or seven weeks, we've um, uploaded over a thousand hours of new content to ABC iView. So we have now this rich catalog of around 4,400 hours of, of content for our audiences to enjoy. Uh, and that's one way of evolving um, audiences' behavior and where they get their content from the ABC so that in the future, when linear television is less likely to be available, just because technology will move on, uh, that audiences will have already had a great experience on ABC iView and see that as the primary platform for the ABC. 
So not everything will binge on iView, not everything will premiere on iView in the um, in these first few years or so, um, but we'll take some calculated risks um, and, and base uh, the content premieres and what we do with premieres and binges on ABC iView as a case by case. You, you do have a lot of success on Wednesday nights with Hard Quiz, Sean McAuliffe and uh, Charlie Pickering in terms of ratings. Now, if each show was doing, say, 250,000 viewers instead of 500,000 or more, which is what they get now, would they still continue? I mean, I asked that um, to get a sense of what the ABC Charter is, what the audience is doing and, and the ratings information all combined in terms of, of if you would commission them again. Yeah, it's a good question. And yes, I'm absolutely thrilled that Hard Quiz rates so highly amongst the others, um, you know, and is a, a rival to the commercial output. Um, it, it is really pleasing to see that. Um, but, you know, I guess it's more important for the ABC to attract the largest audiences. Um, and we're there for all Australians. It's, we're not just a niche broadcaster. So ratings are an indication only, I guess. Um, and programs don't live or die based on those ratings. There are all sorts of other um, aspects that we consider, you know, is it uh, serving the charter? Is it enjoyed by audiences? Who are those audiences? Um, and is it filling a gap? Something, you know, somebody or, or other commercial networks or others may not produce that type of show. Well, I mean, despite all of what we've just said, though, it must be pleasing when you get the ratings ratings in and something like All People's Home for Four-Year-Olds or Love on the Spectrum, those type of shows, they, they perform so strongly. That must be pleasing. It sure is. Yes, absolutely. And it confirms that we understand the audience and what they need. Uh, and I think it, it also proves that we can get large audiences to these kinds of shows. Um, they're not just niche shows. They're actually appealing and, and emotionally connecting to Australians um, in a different way. Um, and it, it's particularly pleasing because those kinds of shows are rarely you know, produced by the commercial networks. So it, it is distinctive and it is the ABC. Uh, mentioning uh, Love on the Spectrum, that's a good segue actually to talking about the ABC's diversity and inclusion commissioning guidelines for screen content. For people that have no idea what that is, is it possible <laughs> to give a Reader's Digest version of what this is all about? Um, unlike my path from high school to television, yes, <laughs> I will try. Um, look, I think, you know, it's really important. Diversity and inclusion is really at the heart of, of everything that we do. Uh, and the reason it is, is because we want to reflect Australians wherever they are and from whatever culture they come from. So these guidelines, um, uh, diversity and inclusion guidelines for screen content are really about um, uh, one principle, which is nothing about us without us. So this is really to ensure that productions, um, which might be about a specific diverse community or subject matter, um, should include at least one person who is representative of that diversity, uh, whether it's on screen or in the core creative team. So we're, we're encouraging not only ourselves, but our production partners um, to give greater access really and, and opportunity to underrepresented people um, and their perspectives so that we can remain relevant and continue to connect with you know, audiences 
wherever they are, whatever gender, whether they're Indigenous Australians, they might come from the coal community, they might be people with a disability, or they might be from the LGBTQI plus community. I think it's really important that we have something for everyone, although, you know, we can't be all things to all people, we can certainly reflect what people see in their everyday lives. So moving forward, what on air look will these guidelines give to programs in the future? I'm guessing, you know, if an ABC drama came out and it includes uh, a character or something, you know, with a disability that the ABC would, there would be inclusion in there with the, you know, with a disability group um, in in representation in that drama. Is that how I'm reading that? Yeah, and I think it's important to say that the diversity and inclusion guidelines shouldn't be seen as an obligation. This is an opportunity. Mm. It's an opportunity to enrich our programs, to bring new new voices, uh, cultures and perspectives to our audiences. I, I think it makes us stronger, makes us more creative, yeah. uh, makes us more uh, inclusive as an industry. And it, I guess we'll mean more shows like First Day coming from the children's department, Stateless from our drama department and, and Love on the Spectrum from our factual department. Mm. That's where I'm hoping, I'm hoping we'll get a bigger, richer collection of those really powerful shows. I want to speak about um, ABC arts programming. Um, when I think about the arts type programming in the past, I think of quite niche and, and broadly speaking, lower rating programs, but you found success through uh, with finding Archibald. Was that a lesson for the ABC in terms of how arts programming can be presented and that there is an audience out there for arts programming? There is definitely an audience for the arts. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, we could have lost our way a little bit, focusing on the primetime uh, content. Um, with limited resources, you have to prioritise those resources. And I guess we focused a lot on the big dramas and big high-end factual shows uh, and our children's content. And, and somehow arts got a little lost. But there's no doubt that people want arts content uh, and, you know, as you mentioned, finding the Archibald with Rachel Griffiths was a huge success. Firestarter was another amazing mm. feature doc. The David Gopalil story, they're all accessible uh, and easy to understand and easy to watch and easy to be enriched by. And I think audiences have proved that they want those shows. Uh, like any genre, arts actually covers many areas. So, you know, Triple J, Classic, uh, jazz and country, there are national music networks, they are constantly using artists and writers and performers and connecting to audiences in the same way that our content does in a range of ways on, on television. Artworks, for example, is our weekly arts program and is designed to represent and reflect that diversity. Um, and, and I think, yes, uh, having Rachel Griffiths in um, presenting that, I mean, not only does she have a passion for art, but, you know, people know her and like her and respect her. And she was a great guide to the Archibald Arts works. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully we can continue that. In, in fact, we've got an upcoming series with Cordia Carvin, who, who has a passion for books and, and she's doing a book series for us. Oh, awesome. 
Well, let's uh, look at look at a few different nights of the week now. Uh, Sundays have been fairly successful this year with things like Spix and Specs, Grand Designs and dramas such as Jack Irish. So is Sunday nights a broad entertainment start and then Australian drama night? Yeah, in, in short, it is. Uh, there's definitely an audience for high quality, distinctive Australian drama on Sunday nights. You mentioned a few, uh, Jack Irish, Mystery Road was mm. huge on Sunday night. Stateless did extremely well. Uh, Total Control. There's definitely a behaviour pattern to audiences wanting um, good, strong, dramatic stories. Um, in the same way that Wednesday night might be completely opposite, which is you know all about comedy and entertainment with Mad as Hell uh, and our you know new comedy uh, dramas like Fisk and mm. Aftertaste. And, and even Superwalk, which is doing extremely well. So there's still a big audience to traditional television. Uh, and we found that Sunday night is something that they want to sit back and be nourished by a narrative. Uh, a new Australian drama, though, coming up is uh, called The Newsreader. I think that's going to be an industry-observed show for sure. Lots of the industry watching this one. Can you tell me more about it um, and its premiere date? Yes, of course, yes. Uh, it, it does have a connection to uh, our sphere of the world, um, our industry. Mm. It's a, a new ABC drama set in the crazy world of what we would perceive as a commercial television room. Uh, it's the late 80s, so I think we focus on 1986. Uh, it stars the incredible Anna Torv, who uh, plays a notoriously difficult star anchor. Uh, and Sam Reed, who is uh, playing a, a very diligent, young, new reporter who's desperate for the big time. And so the series is uh, about them and their relationship and the people around them, the people that they work with and the big personalities that exist in that uh, newsroom. But it also um, covers, you know, some extraordinary actual news events. Um, so if we can think back to 1986, uh, there was the Challenger explosion. There was all that hype around Halley's Comet. There was the Chernobyl meltdown and a whole range of other things that will be covered in the series. But it's not a documentary. It's, it's a narrative drama. So it's about the personalities more than the news events. So uh, Newsreader will premiere on Sunday, the 15th of August uh, in that 8.30 drama slot on ABC TV, but it'll also be available on ABC iView. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Before we leave Sunday nights, a quick question. Is Spicks and Specs returning in 2022? Quick answer. I hope so. It's all subject to the pandemic and uh, whether, you know, the stars are available really to produce. But yes, I would love to bring it back. We did mention this. Um, you mentioned the last question about Wednesday nights being a success uh, with Hard Quiz, Sean and uh, Sean McAuliffe and Charlie Pickering. 
but so, some of those uh, lead out programs have been proven to be big successes too. Uh, like you mentioned, Fisk, um, which was in a later time slot. Um, you must be pleased uh, with the Wednesday lineup and indeed programs like Fisk. Yes, absolutely. Wednesday nights are an appointment to view for a lot of people uh, and Wednesday nights do very, very well for us. It's terrific to have you know, the laugh out loud comedy from Sean McAuliffe in Mad as Hell. Uh, there's the weekly, uh, our new show, Win the Week, uh, which has uh, just launched a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that sort of um, very strong audience connection to those programs has helped us flow on audiences and give them more comedy. Uh, and after that, we're into sort of narrative comedy territory. Fisk has done extremely well. I mean, it's a terrific laugh out loud um, comedy set in the lawyer's office uh, in Melbourne uh, and has been uh, well received as has Aftertaste, which we filmed oh, in okay. the Adelaide Hills. And Superwog, which is a completely de demo, uh, different demographic, although many people in their 40s and 50s told me that they watch Superwog, <laughs> even though it's designed for a slightly younger audience. So, I mean, there's no doubt that uh, broadcast television is still alive uh, and as well as it can be in this really crazy, competitive, fragmented world. In there, you mentioned uh, Win the Week. Um, mm. I just wanted to ask, do you feel sorry for the team at Win the Week at all in terms of ratings? Because I only ask, because on day one, people were going to compare ratings for Hard Quiz. So if Hard Quiz got 650,000 and, you know, uh, Win the Week got 500,000, it's a dip of 150,000. But that's a super high standard, uh, you know, to reach for Hard Quiz. Yeah, hard quiz is a very hard act to follow. Tom Gleason has this in the palm of his hands. But, you know, I think I'm really proud that we're able to bring something new into the schedule. Um, and win the week is a great format. Um, and I would say that, you know, given time, it will grow because it's got some super people behind it with the hosts in Alex Lee and Craig Rucastle in the background created this format. So, yeah, I, I'm really excited for it um, and hope that it, we can continue to grow that show. So just sort of, I guess, a technical question with the show. It's off air. It's been replaced by a couple of repeats of Hard Quiz. I gather that's due to the COVID restrictions. Um, it's tentatively titled uh, to come back on the first week of August. Will it be back for the next four episodes or being that they missed two episodes, is the series being cut by two episodes? It is incredibly unfortunate that COVID has hit right in the middle of the brand new show uh, on a, you know, connecting with brand new audiences. So yes, uh, there's no doubt that we will want to bring that back as soon as we can. And we're going to do everything that we can to complete the series run and give them a good shot. Awesome. Um, let's go to Thursday nights and here it is. Let's talk about Q and A. Um, cause I guess a lot of people would be expecting some questions about Q and A at the moment. It feels like the, um, stories consumed online about Q and A are garnering more readers than the viewers of the show itself. It's it, the, the ratings have been down a little. So let's start with the obvious question. Why was Q and A moved from Mondays to Thursdays? Uh, I guess the upshot is that, you know, we are finding that audiences are falling away from about 9.30 uh, and they may be doing 
all sorts of things, including uh, watching on-demand content at that time. Uh, and I think we needed to have a bigger focus on our primetime schedule. And I think Q&A deserved to be in a primetime slot. So when you do a five-city uh, metro comparison, it, it, it has dropped in the ratings, even though it was on at 9.35 and now it's on 8.30. Um, it is on a lower traffic night, though, which is Thursday and plays against Sport on 9 and 7. What are you attributing any drop to with the audience for Q&A moving from Mondays to Thursdays? Change is always tricky, uh, especially in a television schedule. Audiences are a creature of habit, um, and it does take time to change their behaviour. Uh, I think the audience numbers have been steadily increasing in recent weeks, which is incredibly encouraging. In fact, I, I think they've been consistently over 300,000, which is, you know, the, the same territory that it was getting on uh, 9.30 on a Monday night. Yeah. So I think that's significantly up on earlier in the year, and I think it's tracking in the right direction. Obviously, we've seen this week uh, Hamish McDonald's decision to leave Q&A. I have to ask, is that a purely a coincidence that his absence from the show, he only has only done one show since May the 27th and the lower ratings on Thursday and him leaving the show at this particular point? Is there any, is it just a coincidence he's leaving at this particular time? Q&A thrives on its audience. So we've been producing the show wherever we can, uh, where we can get audiences into a studio. Uh, and unfortunately, Hamish has been in lockdown for a few weeks while the program was being uh, produced out of Melbourne. So that's the legitimate reason why he wasn't on air. He's done a great job um, fronting, you know, one of the biggest changes uh, with Q&A since its inception. So it's got a new night, a new time slot, new panellists, a new approach to the program, uh, and no live audience from uh, early on in the, in the run. So uh, I think, you know, it's been a big challenge for him. He's a great talent, multi-talented, and I think he, he's now, you know, taking up a new opportunity elsewhere, and, you know, we truly wish him luck. I guess, you know, it doesn't stop us working with Hamish in the future. We still have a great relationship with him. We still highly regard him. And hopefully he will come back when the opportunity arises to do various things for us. So moving forward, are we, are we seeing Q&A remain on Thursday nights for the rest of this year? Yes. Good, lovely short answer. And, <laughs> and I have to at least try. I'm sure you know this question's coming. Do you want to announce here right now who the new host is of, of uh, Q&A? Is it Virginia Trioli? <laughs> well, I, I think in recent weeks, we've had some terrific success having a rotating stable of hosts. Virginia being one of them, David Spears, Stan Grant. Uh, I think that will continue um, for the rest of the year. You know, there's so many talented people at the ABC, it makes sense to share their role right now, I think. Uh, and let's see what happens next year. No worries. All right, to Friday nights now. And really just one question. Um, ABC dropped a repeat episode of Vera on in favour of rolling coverage of Prince Phillips's death. Um, it was quite astonishing, the backlash and the coverage of Vera. How surprised were you of the backlash? 
Well, Vera is a very popular show with our <laughs> core cohort of um, ABC audiences. So I guess it wasn't, uh, well, yeah, I guess it was a little bit of a surprise because I would have thought that they were interested to know more about Prince Philip um, uh, at the you know, time of his death. Um, but you know that program was a repeat, uh, which made it a little bit more surprising. Uh, and, you know, we made sure that it was available on ABC iView, uh, and we also rebroadcast it on ABC TV later. So I guess it, it comes back to that thing that I said earlier around audiences are creatures of habit, and they don't like change. So I, I think there's, you know, there was also a certain amount of uh, exaggeration about that backlash. You know, we received a few hundred complaints at the time about the interruption, um, but I think that's a relatively low number. I can tell you, even though it was a repeat, ones like my nana, every time they watch uh, Vera, it's it's a fresh episode to them <laughs> and, and every time. Now, it did seem like a bit of an overreaction at the time, but I have to say, though, holistically, why was it that the coverage was not just reserved for ABC News? I mean, you do have an entire channel for news and, and breaking coverage of, of the coronavirus pandemic, floods, fires. You don't normally interrupt ABC main for that stuff. Why did the ABC not just cover a story like this on ABC News anyway? I think we felt the death of Prince Philip was a pretty significant event for many Australians. Whether you grew up with the royal family, with the Queen and Prince Philip, or you only know Prince Philip from the crown, I think, you know, most <laughs> people know who he is. Yeah. Uh, and his death, you know, given that he was the Queen's husband, I thought was probably... Um, of great interest to our audience. Um, and, you know, uh, people went on to watch other documentaries on the ABC and, and other places. So there was clearly an interest for, you know, that special coverage. Was there a bit of a meeting within ABC about this for the future? Um, like if there was a death of a royal family member or just some really big major breaking news, where is the balance between airing news on ABC News Channel or interrupting the ABC TV main channel um, for the future? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that you could be prescriptive about these sorts of things. Um, it's, it's really a case-by-case -case assessment, you know, based on the importance of the news event. Um, and as you say, you know, we break into uh, main channel uh, or ABC TV around daily COVID-19 updates because, you know, people are really interested. So I, I think we're just going to have to continue to um, play it as it comes along. Fair enough. Um, okay, so uh, let's finish off our theme nights. I want to talk about Saturday night. ABC used to absolutely be the king of the night. The ratings are considerably down from that previous status. Why do you think this is? Has there been a change in the way you are delivered UK programming now or have deals expired? Um, you're currently running the Durrells uh, that aired on seven previously. So what's happened to Saturday nights? Yeah, I guess audiences fluctuate throughout the year. Uh, typically, our Saturday Saturday night audience um, was incredibly strong, um, and it tends to be, in, you know, even stronger in the fourth quarter. Uh, of course, that's when football winds down, and, and some of those big finales on the virtual reality shows or reality shows um, stop. Sure. So last year's final quarter audience was actually up. I think about 8% on 2019. Oh. I, I think it's also a reflection of the fact that we've moved 
um, you know, some of those mo uh, most popular international shows, like you mentioned, Vera, we also moved uh, Midsummer Murders to Friday nights. Mm. And I think also, uh, and this is important, I think, in, in the way that we are now attracting audiences from the main television service to ABC iView, that actually audiences on Saturday nights on ABC iView have surged. So minutes viewed are up by about 50% year on year. Right. And this has been driven by some of that, you know, international drama. I think just the point on the Durrells, yeah, it's it's been seen elsewhere and it's also available on iView. So I guess that might explain some of the dip in Saturday nights. Yeah. New topic now, Olympic Games programming. Um, from the guides that I've seen, it looks like it's just business as usual for the ABC. So I'm guessing no changes to programming over the Olympics. Oh, no, I think you'll find that we've got uh, plenty to offer. Um, there's a new documentary coming up, which is uh, about the story of Australian skateboarder Poppy Star Olsen. Uh, she's competing in the Olympics for the first time. Uh, that documentary is called Tall Poppy, A Skater's Story. Mm. We've also got sports content um, on ABC iView, and we've curate, curated a, a number of um, documentaries and, and other types of programs on iView um, around that theme. Uh, I think you'll find that ABC News has produced uh, a series called Road to Tokyo, which is presented by Tracy Holmes. There's a regular on-the-ground news report from Tokyo during the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, what else is going on? We've also got Offsiders. They're doing a, an Olympic specials. Uh, and, uh, oh, and Roy and HG are doing a daily podcast uh, called uh, Dodging Armageddon. Mm. Uh, and that'll run between the 23rd of July and the 8th of August. And then we'll just play a whole lot of complimentary uh, content in case people don't want to watch the Olympics. Yeah, I actually was meaning that in a positive way. When I say uh, business as usual, you're not just running like repeats and, and pulling shows off air over the Olympics. You're actually running full steam ahead. It's it's it. That's what I meant by business as usual. You're actually offering uncontinued new programming. You're not just sticking on repeats um, and giving up over the Olympics. Good point. Couldn't have said that better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, um. Uh, this is maybe a Reader's Digest question again, but because um, there's still a lot to come in uh, 2021 uh, on the main channel, what, what's still to come? Well, we talked about the newsreader earlier on. Uh, we're also currently producing a show called Barons, uh, which is about the beginnings of a big business in the surf industry. Uh, it's set in the 1970s uh, and follows a group of surfer dudes um, from the beach all the way through the boardroom and the um, all that that entails so obviously very relaxed dudes on the one hand and then they have to become these corporate uh, icons on the other hand so that'll be interesting barons uh, we've also got tropo uh, which uh, centers around a duo of disgraced ex-cop uh, and an eccentric ex-criminal um, they kind of try and unravel a series of strange deaths in steamy far north Queensland. Uh, we've got a, a wonderful series, which I think will be um, emotionally connecting. It's called The School That Tried to End Racism. Uh, mm. It kind of highlights 
how the ABC um, can change the way people see the world and ourselves and our uh, and each other. It's presented by Mark Fennell, uh, and it's a series that explores a, a kind of groundbreaking social experiment designed to empower school children to stamp out racial bias. Wow. We've also got a new season of Total Control, which I'm extremely excited about. Quick anecdote. We were filming in Canberra a couple of months ago uh, and we were doing, uh, you know, a press call. And interestingly, the real press ran down the hill to see what they were missing out on. And it turned out, of <laughs> course, to be Deb Mailman. Um, so I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, audiences will see Rosehaven. Uh, it, this is the fifth and final uh, season of Rosehaven. That starts on Wednesday, the 4th of August. My absolutely favourite show. I'm glad that got given a plug. Yeah, perfect. Um, set in Tasmania, which I, I love seeing that environment. Also, we've got a new season of Frayed coming. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a whole raft of development sitting behind all of that. And hopefully... COVID committing, uh, permitting rather, we will get into production soon on that stuff for next year. Still plenty to come. I yeah, that rose rose heaven. I love the show. I'm sad that it's the final season. Um, ABC TV Plus launched at the start of this year. Can you tell me how you think uh, it's going, and perhaps what you think is working, and what you maybe learned from? Yeah, sure. Uh, ABC TV Plus, um, that whole rebrand really gave us an opportunity to broaden out the content offering, you know, to mm. showcase more local content across uh, multiple genres rather than just comedy, although comedy still sits on ABC TV Plus. But now we can also, you know, put in documentary shows, we can highlight arts like artworks uh, and other entertainment programs. Um, it's given a, a prime time slot really to non-comedy shows, like I mentioned, artworks, but also uh, science, religion, and culture. The broadcast market share for ABC TV Plus is tracking um, very close to where ABC Comedy is. So I'm very pleased about that. Uh, and uh, I, I think ABC TV Plus on ABC iView viewing is also up significantly. I have to mention one thing that's on ABC TV Plus as part of um, ABC Kids, and that's Bluey. Now, I'm not even sure I even have a direct question for you, but what an absolute phenomenal success. It's actually crazy. When I look through the ratings performances um, each day, it's usually somewhere up there with a number one multi-channel show every night, beating everything that's on shows on channels like 10 Bold, 7, Mate, 9, Go. It's out of this world crazy. I mean, does it still astound you? It's broad success. Uh, Bluey, Bluey is uh, just dear to my heart. Um, <laughs> and I'm absolutely thrilled. It's the highest rated program in the history of ABC Kids. Uh, it's the number one program ever on ABC iView. Uh, I think the second season achieved something like uh, 7.2 million complete audience crazy we found that it's the most time shifted program in the history of australian television tick um i think you know four out of five preschoolers have seen bluey uh and two-thirds of primary schoolers so you know it is it is a true highlight and just shows you that the abc plays on the world stage it's world-class television 
that I think children appreciate just as their mums and dads. And even if you're not a parent, you can't help but not appreciate Bluey. So, you know, I, I've always believed that Australian children or any children for that matter um, need to be treated uh, like real human beings and they deserve really rich storytelling with great characters and settings that are relevant to them. And Bluey brings all of that. Uh, and it's proven success around the world um, is fantastic. It's quite funny when you say four out of five kids in that sort of demographic have, have watched Bluey, you sort of wonder what the other one out of five are, <laughs> are doing. Then Peppa Pig. Be, oh, Peppa Pig, of course. Um, <laughs> some feedback I see from people is that they think that ABC Me is the kids' channel, but there is also ABC Kids, which airs on ABC TV+, Plus, which is where Bluey is screened. Has there ever been any talk of just having one full dedicated 24-hour kids' channel um, and leave it at that? Or does it have to work like this for a reason? Yeah, I think you, f you find that uh, primary school age children and, and high school age children are always looking out. They're aspirational and they see preschool content more and more as baby stuff, stuff yeah. that they don't want to connect with. So if you're merging the two, uh, it kind of muddies the water for them. It's, it's, it's what we used to do in old linear television terms when there was only, uh, you know, linear television where you would start at 3.30 with preschoolers and then gradually get older until the news in the evening. So we're keeping them separate for now. Um, but of course, you know, kids are engaging with content wherever it is, whether it's on ABC iView, on ABC YouTube channels or on ABC Kids or Me. Mm. I wanted to ask, because we're just uh, getting to a close with this um, podcast, I wanted to ask about a drama. Uh, drama quotas, you know, are being lifted. They're very expensive to produce. Um, and networks aren't doing, the commercial networks, sorry, aren't doing much now outside of Home and Away and Neighbours. Now, I know in saying that, I'll get emails from Seven and Nine saying we are still producing drama, but it's just not at the, at the output that it was before when you had 40 episodes a year of, you know, uh, a country practice or uh, Blue Healers or All Saints or something like that. The ABC's contribution now must be now be more important than ever to telling great Australian stories. Uh, Jack Irish was excellent. It, it, I mean, is that how you see it? Is, is it even more important now for the ABC to produce this stuff? Drama content is really important to audiences. And so it's really important to us. Um, it's also really important to the ABC because it's a way of reflecting Australians through great Australian storytelling. It, it, it is heartening that, you know, we're able to do it. Um, Screen Australia released a report in 2019, 2020 um, that confirmed or reaffirmed that the ABC is uh, probably the biggest backer of Australian drama. We invested something like $33 million into 14 titles, more than any other network. Uh, and, you know, that's not to gloat. That's just to say how important it is to the ABC. Mm. I think it's um, probably, you know, going to impact uh, audiences with the scrapping of the quotas. I mean, already we've seen a reduction in children's content on commercial broadcasters. But at least the ABC is the home of distinctive, high-quality Australian content, um, and it is more important than ever. Um, and we're doing everything that we can to use the resources that we have at hand to increase that, um, even though our funding is in decline. 
it's we we have to do it it's important to the audience it's important to the charter it's an important way of um, helping audiences move from what will be eventually old technology like linear television through to new digital platforms like abc tv i know it's i'd have to say though with children's drama obviously the commercial channels are sort of dropping there or reducing it significantly but it is a bit of a backhanded compliment to the abc as well because they do know that the abc produces it they produce it very well and they do it obviously without commercials so it's actually very hard to go up against the abc to a point isn't it well i understand that but uh, I guess for me, competition, uh, competition is uh, really healthy because it makes you innovative and try things. Yeah. Things like hard quiz and bluey and first day um, happen because we're constantly thinking about audiences and our audiences of the future. Children are going to grow up and if you're not catering for them within your own brand architecture, then there is a danger that they won't know who you are when they're young adults and they will just go off and find other places to uh, get their content from. Mm. So it, it, it's as much as about supplying, it's also about connecting to your audience through their lifetime, I guess. I want to uh, end this podcast by asking you what you are most proud of. From a success point of view, one might point to things like, hard quiz and bluey and i'm sure um that is good news for the abc but i could also imagine if i worked at the abc i would be so proud of things like love on the spectrum misrepresented um old people's homes and even you know previous stuff like revelation with sarah ferguson so what are you most proud of that really is the six million dollar question <laughs> uh I find a question like that really difficult to answer with a single title, just because I'm incredibly proud of the amazing team that develops and produces our content, mm. whether that's in-house or whether it's external. The Australian independent production community is incredible, uh, innovative and creative uh, and amazing storytellers. And I think the, the most important thing for me is that all of the shows that you mentioned have a special connection to Australians. Um, and that's what's amazing. That's what gives me pride. That's what makes me get up every day is to be able to bring incredible Australian stories to audiences wherever they are and wherever they come from. Michael Carrington, thank you so much for your time today. Some great shows this year and more to come. Loving, uh, as I mentioned, misrepresented and looking forward to the newsreader and the final season of Rosehaven. Hope to talk again soon, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. It's been terrific. Cheers. Michael Carrington, Head of Entertainment and Specialist there. I've had a lot of podcasts and, and focus on the commercial channels, so it was nice to check in with the ABC to see what they are offering um, and what's coming up. Well, that's it for another TV Black Box one-on-one podcast. Thanks for joining me. And for the latest breaking stories and television news, head to tvblackbox.com.au. Until next time, I'm Aaron Ryan. Look after yourselves and bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.